Welcome to Average Joe's Podcast. This is episode 34. I am joined by Sam Hiller, hey. uh, your current host. And I am Zygmunt Maloney. Uh, they call me the league president now. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, for this podcast, we're going to go over the changes of the rulebook for the 2014 season. Um, and we just wanted to lay out what's been changed and maybe do a little background on how it got changed, why it got changed, and maybe throw in a couple scenarios of how new ruling will work. We'll also go over officiating, and we'll talk about knowing the rulebook, um, because that should be a must for every captain. Hillary, you want to start out with knowing the rulebook? Yeah, I know you said like every captain needs to know it, Really, I think every player should know it, at least after your first few tournaments. Uh, obviously, your first tournament, not very many people have played dodgeball with an official rule book before they get to college. But um, once you get to, you know, maybe like January or February of your freshman year, whatever your first year of dodgeball is, you should kind of know almost all the rules. That way you don't, you know, a lot of times you'll see people in the first tournament, they'll get hit, ball goes in the air, and then they think, okay, it's a team catch, or it's probably a swift for team catch, but they'll run out of bounds. And, you know, if you, you should just know things, just like the simple rules at least, and then work on getting more and more. And that's on the captains to make sure that your players do know the rules. It'll make refereeing yeah, yeah. easier, and it'll make the referees not actually have to referee. The players know their own rules, and they're fair yeah, about it. Definitely for, like, I know when I first went to a, a dodgeball event, it was, like, nationals at OSU. That's how old I am. Uh Jack Young brought along the rule book, and we read it in the cars as we were going there. And that was my first time reading the rule book. And obviously, in those days, most of your games would only be at national, so that's the only time I really needed to know. But if you're going on a trip, why not print out two or three, just like one rule book per car, and then have people switch off and read it? It gives them something to read. Or you don't have to print it off. You can just buy one for $5 from Zygmunt. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm selling them for $5. They're nice little booklets. I got one right here. This one's in black and white, but I have a color, it be in color. But yeah, they're really cool. They're a lot easier to read. So, five bucks covers postage, everything. We're going to go on to the changes in the rulebook. We're going to start first with the main changes, because there were, there were really only two main changes. Sam, do you want to start off with the PG 8.5 as the preferred dodgeball? Yeah, um, we brought this up last year the captain's meeting, and I think almost every, almost everybody or most people agreed with it in that everybody just in general explained with the PG 8.5. Uh, I don't think we have a sponsorship or anything with it. I hope we do. Um, uh, we've been working on it, running around in, in the email circuit back and forth, but... But for right now, they're they're preferred. Like I would love to get it to be the official, which is why the language would be preferred instead of official. If we were official, then we'd have to use it. But right now, you can use other balls if you need to. But we're trying to move towards the champion PG 8.5. So when you're going out and getting new balls for the season, might as well get that because they break in really easy, really fast. It's best to have. A fair a ball that is fairly similar across the league, and especially for nationals. So, yeah, obviously, like when you're just playing like a normal match, like I think Moody has those like rainbow balls or like Iron Man balls or whatever. Uh, they have the Mikasa, the big yeah. thing, the Mikasa ones, 
And those last a long time. They're like the they're branded official dodgeball. And they last a long time, but they're really tough to break in. So Yeah. And they're hard just and it's just in general, just hard to I'm not even that good at throwing, but I, I find it hard to switch from like one ball to another grip ball and Yeah, it definitely changes up your game. So um so yeah, we went to that and I think that'll be good for the league. So please, if you have the opportunity to get PGA point fives, but don't just pop all your old balls and get new ones. Just get yeah. them when you can, I guess. There, there is a link on the website under our resources page. I think it's uh, something like that. or like Equipment. It's under equipment. Wait. Yeah. And occasionally on Twitter, I'll, I'll post a cheap dodgeball watch thing if I find something. I think the latest one was like $3.85, which is fairly cheap per ball. And there's six colors, so get whatever matches your team or whatever is your fancy. When you, when you do get balls, you don't have to get a specific color. Um, there's not like a red is the preferred color. In fact, it might be better if your team color is blue to get a blue ball. Uh, it just makes it easier for when you're getting your balls back at the end to say, oh, no, the blue ones are ours. So you don't have anybody run up with your own balls and stuff. Yeah, that it, and that also leads it into something else where we also put in the rule book that each team is entitled to providing five balls per match. This is a long-standing tradition that uh, that's been around in the league for years. I mean, if you don't have five balls, then it's the duty of the host, and it's just a little tradition that we put in. Yeah. So I think that's that's good. Um, it'll. I know it's kind of like an unwritten rule, but it's good to always have the rules in writing, I think. Yeah, so. yeah that's good. Well, let's move on to the other main change of the rulebook, is that clean catches do now count. So, if you're holding a ball in your hand, and you put it between your legs, and then you catch a ball, technically you're in possession of a ball, and in the old rulebook, that would not count. But obviously, the ball did not the thrown ball did not hit you, and it's a clean catch. The exact language is in there, you could tell, but basically what I've been telling all the people at DePaul and, and Moody and the other people that have asked me is that clean catches count, it's just clean. If you're if it looks like it's clean, the ref makes the decision, calls a catch, so it goes on. Yeah, I remember we had the situation where we had an SEU last year, a national or at the MSU invite about it. I think it was us and Kent or us and somebody, and we had to figure out if the ball, just the wording and the rules were kind of just wordy and just kind yeah. of. It hard. was it was a team catch situation, and yeah. the guy had like the ball the the ball possessed between his legs, and then the team catch lofted up, just reached up, grabbed it out of the air, and you know, Kent came over. Or, like we had to stop play because it was. It was clearly a clean catch, so initially I, I ruled the clean catch, but we, we had to look at the rule book, and it turns out it was ambiguous, so I made a call. That's also in the rules, is that if it's not in the rules, the referees do have final say, is that right? Yes, that is, that is part of the referee discretion rule in the officiating manual. It's like one of the first parts of the manual, so... I don't know, it's... It's tough, like stuff like that will happen because you can't cover everything. If you cover everything, then it's going to be a hundred page rulebook like the MLB rulebook. I've read most of it. Yeah. yeah. It is a huge book. It's about four inches thick. It's almost like law. 
So let's move on to the other small changes in the rulebook. Now we had a lot of grammar, language, numbering edits, of course, because when you add rules, you need to change the numbering. And basically, three years ago, starting in 2011, we completely re redid the rulebook. It was, it was, it was okay, but it, it definitely didn't cover what you needed to know. And there's a lot of loopholes, so I took care of it, and we voted it in. And three years, three years have passed, so why not look at it again? We did a, a nice look at it through with Dylan Fedick from Grand Valley and Felix Peroni from WKU. Um, they're really good. They're my editing interns. They did a lot of work. They definitely helped me out a lot, so thanks, guys. So just there's a lot of gray sections, and that you look at it, and there, it looks like there's a lot of changes, but really it's more grammar and retelling the same thing so that it makes it clear and there's no ambiguities in the rulebook. Because some, some have been caught, some haven't been caught, but everything here is covered on the website in the latest post. It's... Right now, it's as of three posts down. It was posted on October, October 4th. All right, right now, we're just going to go over a couple of the small changes. Sam, do you want to go over the coaching staff? Uh, sure. Um, we, we do have a few teams now that uh, I think officially have coaches, which I think is cool. Um, we have... Uh, a rule that says that they are allowed to be in, and I think that's always been a rule, right? There's never been a rule saying you can't have a coach? Yeah, there's never been a rule, but it's been ambiguous, so I just wanted to have coaching staff protected under the rules, because officially, you know, the head ref could say, hey, get off the court. And really, a coach is an awesome thing to have. They're, they're very good for your team. I, uh, Moody had a coach, um, Jeremy. NSU, Northwestern State, or Ensula, as the league likes to say. Yeah. Um, they had a coach, was their advisor. They would come down, and then their official capacity was coach. So. Yeah, and I remember. There. Yeah. Remember a few times in nationals, um, she was like making disagreements with some of the calls and stuff, and I know like one one time, um, one of the referees said she doesn't have the authority to do that. She needed to back off the court and stuff. But uh, I do think she was the coach, and I do think she should be able to, you know. Yeah, and that leads into the other thing is that the way we define the rule is that coaching staffs is treated as captains in penalties, in conduct. So they're the only ones that can argue a call along with the captains. They're also sub susceptible to yellow cards and red cards if they get out of line. So, And interfering with play is also a yellow card offense. So. And I brought this up to you that maybe um, they could, because if a coach gets a yellow card, yeah, obviously it hurts the coach, but it won't really affect the team. Maybe they could have it, like, if a coach is out of line, then yeah, a player gets taken off the court or something. I, I definitely think that's more of, like, what an official would yeah. um, make the call. Because if they're, if they're getting out of hand, then, okay, well, your team has to play 14 down. Or, or yeah. one down and go down to 14, I should say. But, it is good that teams can have coaches, and it's good for the... I think the people that I know in other club sports teams, they all have coaches, so I don't know why... Yeah, definitely. I don't know why we shouldn't forbid it. Yeah. 
And we definitely shouldn't require it because I know that's that's another person on a, so that'd be a twenty man, twenty one, twenty two people. Yeah. And people coming sometimes the coaches get paid, or sometimes they don't get yes. paid. And then okay. it's hard enough to pay everything that our teams have to do as it is to add, you know, whatever to that person. Yeah. You know, extra extra gas, extra hotel room, all that stuff. So. Of course. Well, let's move on to another slightly big one that was changed. It was the airborne balls during a stoppage of play handling. So now when a stoppage of play is called, whenever the whistle is blown, there's certain things that happen with the dodgeballs. Any dodgeball in the air is immediately dead. Can't really score a hit. But if it's if it's a split second from the whistle and then a player is already getting hit, then the ref makes a decision as if the ball was dead or the hit counted, hit counted or a team catch can be made. Mm-hmm. There's also one particular thing where if a player possesses any balls in the zone, if there's any balls in the zone, in the original rulebook they would have to come back to the baseline and the player could not pick up the balls. That always happened. I don't think anybody really enforced that particular rule. And basically we cut that out because it simplifies the process, takes an extra burden off the officials to watch and say, oh, no, you you only have one ball in your hands. You can't have two. And it just, it's a logic thing. People are going to pick up the ball because it's on their baseline. Yeah. So. That's a rule I never enforced. I'll admit that. So I didn't even know that was a rule. It's, uh, it was going back to the original Boneless Rulebook. I think in 2007, 2008. Yeah. I don't know. And then going on, we're just going right through the rulebook in sequence. So the next one up would be the shot clock. Now, um, the shot clock as defined, the shot clock is reset once a throw enters the legitimate attempt zone. So you effectively have to throw before the clock would expire and then it enters the zone and then is reset. So if it doesn't enter the zone before it's reset, then that's a violation. We, we just made that as an official interpretation of the rule because it can either go two ways. It can go, well, you have to get it off before you throw or you have to get it off enough time so when it reaches the LAZ, it, it's a valid attempt. Yeah, and I was that was the way I always ruled it, but there are times where you could tell that you would, the ball would be right out of your hand and they would let it go from from 14 to whatever, and then you would miss, but they wouldn't because the ball's out of your hand. They would they would give you the, the um, benefit of the doubt. Of the and I, it it's a tough thing when you when you have a shot clock, people are going to exploit it, and they're going to exploit it to the vast you know the last possible moment. So definitely, if the new people are learning the shot clock, captains, officials. Tell them that they need to get it off at like 13 or 14 just to be safe. Because if they don't get it off and the throw doesn't make it there in time, then it will be a legit, illegitimate attempt and shot clock violation. And a ball in the air, if it if the whistle's blown and then it hits the person or whatever, if the ball, whistle's blown before the ball hits them, they're safe, right? It depends on... It's referee discretion. If the, if it's really close to them, if the ball is like a split second from the whistle, then it's referee discretion. But um, if it was before, if the ball was at half court and 
the throw was made from the baseline and then going to the other baseline, that ball's dead, can't make it out because there's not enough time. Still a second or two flight time. So yes, that is the play. The ball would be dead effectively. Um, also, we had a small impromptu title contest, title naming contest, uh, on the on the Facebook the other day about whenever two balls hit each other in midair. At the catches meeting, we decided that should be a valid attempt if they looked like they're going to, or like get into the LAZ. So we named it the Higgs boson reset. It was uh, Kevin Costner, who's an, a Grand Valley alum, I believe. Yeah. He gets credit for the name suggestion. Um, I was happy it was that one because I was like one of the only ones that I understood. Like a lot of them. Oh my god. Well, yeah, it was funny. It, I, I love putting little funny joke, funny jokes in that in the rule book, whenever we can get away with it because it's still dodgeball. It's still like a game. I just want to remember if we can make fun of it, make fun of ourselves, then we should. That's part of my DePaul ethic, I guess. Yeah. Just as long as it's not like some kind of like uh, I don't know pop culture thing where you name something and then in ten years you're like what is that? Yeah, the Higgs boson is. Pretty pretty standard, so I, yeah, that's definitely not going to go out of style. No. Our jokes may, but <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have anything to add about the the new shot clock? Um, not really. Just as long as you are making good throws on time, you'll you'll get away with it. Just don't, you know, don't. You can even make it so it's purposely, obviously, not going to hit somebody as long as it's legit, right? That's still yeah, it has to be within, you know, a step and a lunge. Yep. So, you know, stepping on into the 3D, it's a 3D bubble. Mm-hmm. So you raise your hands up, and it goes to the tip of your fingers pretty much. And you put your left your left hand out, it goes to the tip of your hand and maybe like a foot after that, depending on the size of the person, because it's a step and a lunge based on the size of the per- person, like a strike zone in baseball. Yeah. So Just as long as you're not clearly abusing it and trying to get away with a step in two lunges or yeah. way over the head repeatedly, then you'll get you'll get I definitely think that any any official, any timekeeper will be will want, if you are intentionally like milking the clock, then they're gonna call it a little bit tougher than they would. Because you're just you're not playing the game and the object of the shot clock obviously is to move the game along. It's, to prevent stalling as best we can. So, yeah. Um, well, moving on, we have three or four more. So the neutral zone line, we went over this in the captain's meeting. The attack lines extend indefinitely past the sidelines, so that way you can't step out because we don't. We out have of a, bounds and over. Yeah, yeah. out of bounds and then over it in order to get a ball because that's that's cheap and. That's not, you know, that's not in the spirit of the, the neutral zone line, the attack line, where you can't go past it. We also have a two-for-the-show rule. Um, we've always counted two simultaneously catches, direct, uh, direct throws, or a catch if you, you hug both of them in at the exact same time. That obviously looks like two catches, and we just put it in the rule book that it's two catches and not necessarily a trap. 
And again, that's, that's, the referee yeah. decides all these, but that is definitely a... It looks awesome. And in order not to get in... If you were to rule the trap on that, I would I would throw a fit where I would get a red card if I, if I did that. Because <laughs> that, that was awesome. I'll never ever do it ever again in my life. And I want two catches. So. Other than that, just the conduct was uh, revised a little bit. That uh, Right. Um, yeah, it had a lot of redundant rules that were already in the penalties. So if we moved anything that wasn't there into the penalties in 3.7. And uh, we added a little spirit of the game thing, which is really just how dodgeball should be played and going out when you know you got out and not waiting for the official to call, which is a problem that some teams might have. Or like just some people on the on the particular team I'm not calling anybody out because it happens to everybody. But our game is honest, so well we felt that honesty should be in the rule book. When I when I read that, that made me think of I don't know why, but like in like 30 years of dodgeball's ever popular, like some children's book where some kid plays dodgeball with like Abe Lincoln and George Washington, <laughs> and they're just like, you should play like this. Be honest. Be a good person. Yeah. <laughs> So, the officiating section took a lot of a lot of new stuff, and of course, with all the new stuff, we reorganized the casebook. Specifically, in the officiating section, uh, the pregame took a lot of a lot of edits. Um, it, we, I basically tried to put everything. I took my experience as an official, tried to put everything in order to get ready for a dodgeball match in there. So you just kind of go down the rule book and do a checklist. Yeah, I mean that's something that you know everybody should do is like make sure you got the ten balls, make sure before each point they got fifteen people or less, or make sure you know who's been you know if somebody's been hit just the standard. I know this isn't a pregame thing, but just standard like don't let people switch in line. You know it's a lot that you have to look at, but that's why you have at least three extra people helping you. So yeah, and that you should definitely have four people as an officiating team. It's a four-man mechanic. So to all those, at least four people. Yeah, to those event coordinators out there, try to get at least four people and get people that have experienced the game for at least two years. I mean, the shot clock itself should probably have somebody who had a lot of experience. I know a lot of teams have been doing, oh, well, we'll put our sophomores on it because it's not an important job. It's probably one of the more important officiating jobs besides the head ref. The head ref is your senior. I'd say that the assisting ref is probably the least important. I mean, the head ref has to make tough calls, but the shot clock has to make a tough tough call every 15 seconds. They have oh, to decide. Do they yeah. get the ball off? Is the ball legitimate? Blah, blah, blah. So, And a lot of times people do put the pressure of call, making calls on the shot clock refs, and they're watching, and they're saying, well, you're the closest referee to this play. Was this person hit? So, yeah. yeah. We're definitely better off than we were in the fishing standpoint, at least. You know, even two years ago, we're better off. In definitely five years ago, of course. Yeah, my freshman year was, I mean, there's sometimes where it didn't matter because we played Grand Valley, and we could have gone in 20 times each point and still lost, but <laughs> there's also times where it was like, Somebody would do something, and they'd say, well, is that a catch? Or, and they'd be like, 
I, I don't know, sure. And it's like, yeah. okay. You definitely have to control the court. You have to control the game. I mean, obviously, you're an official, so you're not controlling the game by gameplay, but you have to make sure the game is safe, make sure it's being fairly played, make sure the people are going out when they should go out, and then helping people know the rules, because you are an ambassador of the game, and the, the whole thing that ties the NCDA together is the rulebook. That's all. That's, that's just a simple fact. And when it's different in different regions, then it just kind of degrades the game and degrades the league as a whole, so... And it also degrade nationals because everybody will come into one place from all across the East Coast, or the, I guess the Eastern half of the United States, and then everybody's playing different ways, and, yeah. you know, this is a hit, no, this is not a hit, or whatever, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, another thing I just wanted to include, we have some new signaling, because I, I went, I love my signaling at dodgeball. So, uh, the double dribble... Signal in basketball is now the shot clock violation, and then you make a sweep from the team that made the thing to the made the the violation to the team that made that gets the balls. And I I think that's a it's probably the best signal that you could adapt. I know Bowman's like to do the head pat thing, which is the official violation, but I also have if you're a if you're a timeout if you call a timeout as an official. You tap your fingertips to your shoulders in, in a football style, and then hold your head, which is, and I just wanted to make it clear. For overtime, we have the backcourt violation signal. <laughs> that uh, It's just like turning your wrists from side to side. And for the shot clock illegitimate attempt, we have the football style running clock, which is like really rotating your arm all the way around. Before, we had like a little hand hand motion that was a circle, but right now we want to make sure that people know to throw, yeah. Um, because I we all know you cannot hear anything on a basketball court. The acoustics are terrible, so signaling is definitely very yeah. necessary. When you're backing up and you're not going to see this. Yeah. After somebody's the ball, you're going to say, oh, somebody threw the ball, back up and play some defense, not... You're not going to be like, oh, it's just because then you're going to get hit. So. Yeah. Um, we also put some whistling. I tried to put whistling in the last one, but it didn't get in. So just some common whistles. So like the soccer-style three rolling whistles. That is now the end of match. Um, overtime is two whistles, two long whistles. Halftime is one long whistle. And an end of point is actually a whistle. I've always been doing an end of point. I would whistle, and then I would say Victor to the left or to the right, depending on which team won. And if we could just get that going. <laughs> We're yeah. putting out a signaling video, so so you, everyone has the same signals, and then eventually you could start everybody starts learning them, and then it'd be better. But yeah, yeah, and don't be afraid to be overly, you know, confident with your calls and stuff, and don't be afraid to. I don't know, confidence or what. Overly outgoing with your call because if you're gonna call a shot clock violation and you're not gonna really like blow your whistle too hard again in the court, people are still gonna play and somebody's gonna get hit and you're gonna have to figure out. Well, we threw three balls, they threw four balls, and somebody said no, you threw two balls, and 
So yeah. just if you got to make a call, just immediately make that call and end play right there so that you don't have to deal with situations like that. A strong whistle goes a long way yeah. in order to like control the game. So don't be don't be stingy with with your whistle. Learn how to whistle effectively. <laughs> so it's it's a stop. It's a stop thing. You put you put your lip on the mouthpiece, blow it, lift lip back on the mouthpiece. It's a it's a certain certain thing you have to do. It's an art form. It's an art form. Yes. It is. <laughs> well, since we're on officiating, is there anything else you want to go over or reinforce? Like, uh, just one personal preference I have is if you're studying up a tournament, uh, try to have your more experienced teams refing the matches you could see as in ahead of time say, oh, this could be a more fiery match or this could be a more competitive match than this match, but you know, if you're having a tournament and you have a first year team coming, try not to have them referee like Grand Valley versus Saginaw Valley where you know it's gonna be competitive and heated and stuff compared to like having somebody else who's been playing a long time. Because that way your referees aren't gonna get yelled at if they make a bad call. And if somebody does make a bad call, it's a club game, you know, you're not yeah. getting paid. You're not gonna scholarship out of this Unless it's McCarthy, don't yell at the refs and uh, yeah, be nice, I guess. No, yeah, it's we're all the same age, pretty much, well, same age group. Some of us are older than others. Yeah, I'm a little older than all these kids now. Yeah, um, that's scary. <laughs> Anyways, you just you gotta respect people. That's what goes down to our game. And the other thing I had to say is. When you're a referee, uh, make the calls, but don't, like, last year there was a couple situations we had where a referee would miss the play in front of them because they are calling somebody out stepping out of the baseline by, like, a foot. So don't, if if somebody makes an error and you see it, call them out, but don't do so at the point where you're going to miss the play right in front of you. That could actually result in a, Situation like a catch or a kill or something. Yeah, something so. that like an official would need to see. Yeah. I mean, obviously, absolutely. if they they step out, then. But if there was a hit, if there was an ambiguous hit, then that's what you're there for to yeah. have an be an extra set of eyes on the play. So. What about that? Any, anything other that you got? Anything? Um, no. I for officiating, I'm really um, trying to get every court on every event have at least four people. I obviously it's not in the rule book, but you can go without the the assisting ref if you really need to. And of course you can have four extra judges. I know at nationals National championship game we had eight or nine refs. A, a four a four man officiating team and then you had four judges. Which is great because then they can the judges watch the sidelines rather than and then the refs can watch the middle. The middle, yeah. And it's all like your zone of zone of play. So that is I'm I'm definitely trying to get at least the four man mechanic and maybe even start a alumni officiating network. I don't know. I've been thinking of titles, but I'm not gonna say anything because 'cause I've pretty come up with some pretty lame names. Um and pretty lame acronyms. But uh there, there might be an, an officiating organization for dodgeball in the future, cool. and I'm, I'm going to try to try to get that going. Because uh, working on the rule book, and you know, we instituted an officiating manual for the 
sole purpose of improving the situation of referees. It, it's kind of just making everything better as we go along. This is as much time as we can put together. I'll try to. I'll try to. I mean, I don't get paid, but <laughs> I, I put a lot of work in. So. And the more the more people we have ref consistently, the better the officiating will be. Um, I remember, like over the last few years, there's been a, a few really good refs, and then you have people that ref like maybe once every three or four months, and then they have to get in a situation they have to ref again. But definitely having those alumni refs, where at first they're a little shaky, not all of them, but some of them just because they hadn't been refing in a while, but this, that second day, the refereeing was spot on the whole time, I thought. Um, yeah. So just ref as much as you can, and even though it sucks to say, all right, well, we have to ref, like, two two breaks in this tournament, you know, if the captain has to referee both times, sucks, but you're the captain, you have to deal with it. So. Yeah, and you're definitely we, in we the best say position. The captain, but... I mean, you would definitely be in the best position if you have the most experience. So you kind of have, in order to make the league better, if you have that, that mindset, if you're going to make the league better, then obviously it, it would help the league if you were on the court being head ref or you know, being a shot clock and, and making sure the game gets played the way every other game should get played or officiated, I should say. So. And also, um, if you don't want to make the league better, but you want your team to do better, if all the captains are refereeing, and then you get to your game, and you have people that don't know what they're doing, you're going to be like, well, I wish that this team's captain would have been refing my game. Well, maybe oh, yeah. if you were the one refing their game, they would have refed your game. So. It goes both ways. So, Two-way street? Yep. <laughs> um, well, that, that about covers most of our... Most of the rules. If there's any, anybody has any questions, you could feel free to email the league account and and uh, yeah, and the league account is ncda-dodgeball at gmail.com, right? Oh yes, that, that is probably the that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that that covers everything we wanted to cover for at least this episode of Average Joe's podcast. Yep. Uh, I'm Zygmunt Maloney. And I'm Sam Hiller. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to Average Joe's Podcast. Be sure to check out more episodes of Average Joe's on iTunes or our website, ncdadodgeball.com. Until next time, just remember the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Bye-bye.